Welcome to the Table Leadership Podcast, where everyone is invited to pull up a seat, and all leaders have a voice to contribute to the conversation. We're glad you could join us today. And now, your host, Sian Edgerton. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the very first episode ever of the Table Leadership Podcast. Woohoo! Thank you all for pulling up a seat. I am so excited to start this journey with all of you that are listening and watching today. And I just want to thank you for taking the time to be here. Um, I am so excited to get to share this very first episode with you, and especially this first guest. I am your host, Sion Edgerton. And the guest that I have with us today is uh, the one and only my friend, my pastor, my mentor, my leader, Freddie Villarreal. Hey, it's a pleasure to be with you guys. How are you doing? Thanks for being here. And so here at the Table Leadership Podcast, a huge part of our heart is just developing and discipling other leaders and being able to bring in leaders from a variety of contexts and cultures um, and to be able to say, hey, what do you bring to the table? Um, And that's what every episode is going to be. We're going to be bringing in a bunch of different leaders from a bunch of different places all around the world, serving in a variety of contexts and just talking to them about their leadership experience and asking each one of them to bring a a particular piece of wisdom or expertise or a tool or a tip or a trick to share with you that can hopefully impact your leadership as well. And so we just pray that every episode, there's something that resonates with you that you can start practically applying to your life and your leadership right away and, and prayerfully see amazing transformation happen in those areas. So let's kick it off. Let's get started. One of the reasons that I asked Freddie to be the very first ever guest on the Leadership Podcast is because this would not be happening if it weren't for him. Um, literally, I would not be who I am today. I would not be where I am today. I would not be launching the Table Leadership. I would not have the Table Leadership Podcast. None of that would be possible if it wasn't for the influence of Freddie in my life over the past decade. And so I just want to, first of all, say thank you, brother. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. Uh, I, I also want your listeners to know that when I started, uh, when I met you and started mentoring you, I had a perfectly black beard. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> For those of you who are who are listening and not watching, it's a lovely shade of what would you call it now? Uh, Santa Claus. I think it's, so. a, it's, a, it's a Santa Claus shade. And you know what? In, in all fairness, though, and we may even talk about some of those stories today, most of that gray, probably in all fairness, did come from did come from me. I mean, I do blame my five gray hairs on you. So okay, there it goes. Over both e- ways. <laughs> and yeah. and when I uh, when I introduced you, I I should have introduced you properly. I introduced you as Freddie Villarreal, but it's really Freddie, no middle name. That's right, Villarreal. And and why is that? What have you always told me about that? Well, I heard from a friend of mine who also does not have a middle name. He told me, uh, he said, Pastor Freddie, do you know why we don't have middle names? I said, no. He said, because great men make their own. That's great. Oh, I love it. All right. So the first question that I have to ask you, and this is going to be something that we're asking all of our guests, because after all, it is the table, right? So if we were not at a virtual table right now, if we were actually gathered together at a live table and you and I were gathering with a bunch of leaders so that we could just talk about leadership and do some development, what would you be serving? What do you bring to the table? Your favorite dish or maybe one that you're particularly good at making? What would you be feeding a whole bunch of leaders right now? Yeah, I'd have to say my mom's chicken enchiladas. She taught me how to make them. Um, they're my kids' favorite. My wife and our kids, whenever I make chicken enchiladas, whenever we ask them what they want, it's it usually involves me spending the you know few hours to put together the enchiladas with all the stuff you know like so yeah, chicken enchiladas is definitely a go-to. Uh, feeds a lot of people and it's really flavorful. And I have a lot of practice at it because my kids ask for it a lot. So, man, I learned it from an incredible, incredible cook, my mom. So you know I can't make them as good as she does. <laughs> But my kids, you know, they said last time she was in town visiting, she made some and they're like, we like yours better. I'm like, well, don't you tell Mammy that. We not <laughs> that. Uh, but also like, you know, they just, they grew up on mine. So they don't know, they don't know what they're talking about. Like I grew up, my mom's from Mexico and she made the best, like I can't go to Mexican restaurants. So yeah, I either got to cook it or 
she's got to be around the cookie. But yeah, yeah. So I would definitely say some chicken enchiladas. That's, that's oh, that sounds good. And I don't know that I've had your enchiladas, but I have had your mama's cooking. So if you learned from your mom, right. then I know it's amazing. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, and so, all right. So that's what you would serve us. Now, what is it that you bring to the leadership table? Um, you know, I, I feel like uh, I've just, you know, learned a lot from a lot of people and I try to kind of pay it forward, you know, to continue to invest in others. I think for us here at Freedom Life, you know, and in one of the environments that, that I'm in is, well, actually wherever I'm at, uh, I really have a passion around leadership development, around investing in a culture of collaboration, but also a cultural development and always kind of thinking about how we're going to sow everything we have been you know, that's been invested in us into the next generation of leaders. And so that's been close to my heart since we started. Um, so I have a few different hats that I operate in now, a few different worlds I get to work in. And um, kind of one of the common denominators is, are we creating a, a development culture of future leaders? So, and that's you were great. part of, you know, here, so you, you, you're familiar. Yes, I am very much so. And so tell us about some of those hats. Tell us a little bit about yourself, other than the fact that you make banging chicken enchiladas. Uh, <laughs> help our listeners that have not had the honor like I have of knowing you for over a decade now to get to know you a little bit better. Yeah, so um, so I'm the founding pastor of Freedom Life Church, where I'm, I'm currently still serving as a senior pastor. Uh, we have a campus in Hampton, Virginia, uh, in the 757. And then Woo-hoo. we have down in San Antonio, Texas. I got my, my 210 Freedom Life shirt on today. <laughs> so, uh, and then we also have an online campus that kind of has people around the, around the globe at this point because of so many military folks that come through one of our physical campuses and they continue to be part of the church when they get deployed overseas or whatever. Um, so that's part of my job as a senior pastor over that multi-campus church. But I'm also now, since uh, March, the associate senior pastor of a seven-campus church in the northern suburbs of Chicago called The Chapel. So that's my mentor pastor's church. And in uh, March, I came on staff part-time with them. So I'm actually living in Chicago about a third of the month um, there for part of every other week. And then, you know, so we're up there a lot, my wife and I, uh, down here, San Antonio. And then um, I'm on the front end of being... I was invited to be a coach for something called Uptick Catalyst, which launches next uh, in 2020, where we're going to be actually mentoring um, pastors to, in what it looks like to lead multicultural churches in multicultural, multi-ethnic communities. So we're going to have one group here, which I'm a part of at Hampton Roads, and then there'll be a group in uh, the D.C. metro area and then in Richmond area here in Virginia. So it's pretty That's exciting. Yeah, so really excited about that, you know, leading a multicultural church, multi-generational, multi-ethnic. And in, in San Antonio, we actually now have a lead pastor who's from Mexico. So it's like we have a multilingual service down there now, too. So we're, we're really just in this whole this journey it's fun you know so that's kind of you know everything i get to do I, I, it's leadership development and, and leading through others and serving leaders basically so that they can serve others so that's awesome and so a huge part of your heart and your vision comes in that multi-generational multicultural multi-ethnic talk to us a little bit about what's the difference between kind of your baseline diversity and truly really honoring and representing what it means to be multi-ethnic and multicultural yeah, so I, I think, you know, uh, that's a great question, uh, Sion. I think that, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of times where we think that we think of diversity in terms of uh, regardless of what it is, whether it's socioeconomic or whether it's uh, skin tones or even languages. You know, we think of diversity if it's like, oh, we have multiple types of people in the space or environment, workforce, whatever it might be. But, but uh, sometimes it actually is assimilation where we, we actually have a predominant culture, pick whatever culture that is uh, in any environment, any context, any organization, there's a culture. Uh, so I believe diversity is when, when, when you say the dominant culture is actually deferring to the, to, to the minority culture, whatever the minority in that dynamic is. And so we're actually saying we're not just creating a, seat at the table for you we're actually asking you to come into the kitchen and help us cook help us reframe the recipe help us actually bring uh us you know into who you are and bring who you are into us so that we actually are now different and we're more than we were before without you and i think that's the distinction Mm -hmm. This divert, real diversity and what I would call maybe assimilation where it's like hey we've got our culture we want you to actually assimilate who you are into what we already have, but just look or sound different than us. It's a, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a nuance, but I think it's really important in understanding 
uh, you know, the power of diversity. So that's, I guess, I hope that answered your question. It did. That's good. And so that can be really scary though, for yeah. a leader, what, what it takes, what does it take for a leader to actually say, I want to live that lifestyle. I want to lead in that way. What does it require of them? Uh, yeah. So I think that's kind of at the heart of really all of this, you know, leadership development. Um, it really involves being willing to give away who you are at the table and to invite others to it. I think that um, we're kind of coming out of a paradigm of leadership, which is like control oriented. It's very top heavy. It's very egocentric. I mean, even right now, I think we're on the front end of what, what I believe 10 or 20 years from now, we'll look back at and say, Hey, the celebrity pastor culture that took over in through social media in the United States didn't end well. It didn't. I just think what happens is, you know, when you put that much emphasis on personality, uh, you, 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 you set that person up for failure as opposed to really uh, training leaders to understand that your, your strength is in what happens when you're not around. Your, mm-hmm. your, the expression of your legacy is actually what comes after you, not, not what takes place, you know, through you. And I think it's, it's how you really equipped and inspire us. You know, the, the model of, of Jesus in the gospels was, was, Hey, it's good for me to leave. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't there to set up his, you know, his retirement plan. He was there to like, to, to make a difference, to transform the world. But he knew that equipping others with what he had was the way to do that in, in a, in a way that would, that continues actually to, to right now. And I think, what it costs is um, is us being willing to be made small that he you know that he would be made big through others. Actually, it's a giving, right. intentional, constant giving away. So it's like, hey, it's not about me. You know, I love it uh, that there are people listening to this podcast who who know you and who who don't have a clue who I am. I love it that you know that. Um, the same would be true of our worship ministry, you know, you know, just so many different relationships I get to have. And then you get to see them go and do and be and reach. And at the end of the day, it's not about me. It's not about us. It's this, and I think that that's a hard concept for the person who's come up in the classical leadership model. It's yeah. like we, we have accidentally, I do believe it's accidental, accidentally drifted so far away from that revolution mindset that I'm here for mm-hmm. a season for a purpose but it's, it's so that you can catch the vision for, and you can actually do greater things, right? That's Jesus. You will do greater things than I have done because I'm right. born, right? So to me, that's just the, you know, the paradigm through which I live. And I, I think it, it really causes us to confront that cult of personality and say, it ain't about me. And, it, and if you're making it about me, you're going to be disappointed, right? So it's like, right. so uh, yeah, I, and I think it's hard. Um, it really framed my whole paradigm of ministry, right? when we started Freedom Life uh, in 2004, the church where I'm a senior pastor, I had a tr- chance to go down to a, um, a conference in, in Atlanta, Georgia, and I got to hear this guy talk. And I remember this is 2004. So, you know, like, uh, you know, this, this is 15 years ago at this point. And um, I remember back then, we just come out of the late nineties and like Hillsong worship was like all over the place. Shout to the Lord was like, you know, in like 98, 99 when I was a youth pastor, that was a song. You put yep. that on, like all the kids were like crying and lifting their hands. And just in case some of our listeners aren't familiar with that one, how's it go again? Oh no, no, you could Google it. You could, you could Google it. You, yeah. <laughs> You're I, not going to have a few bars for us. No, uh, I don't want to <laughs> ruin that, that, that masterpiece. With, uh, <laughs> Okay, I'm sorry. So, shout to the Lord was the hit. Yeah, and so so I took a group. I was with a group of leaders. We went down to Catalyst Conference in Atlanta, and it's like the two o'clock session is this guy I'd never heard of, and I'm like, uh, yeah, let's just go. You know, we do what we do. We go to conference. You've been with me to conferences. You know, we're like, yep. all right, we can. Uh, let's go get a nice big old lunch and let's go see the city. You know, like we'll make the we'll make it back for the evening session. You know, well, we've kind of gotten away from that. Obviously, even when you were with us, we were like, no, let's let's maximize our time mm-hmm. here. There's always that, you know, we're out of town, let's have fun kind of thing. And I remember looking at this guy who was on the lineup for right after the lunch session. I was like, I've never heard of this guy. And I'm like, all right, let's 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 blow this off. Let's go check out the mall or something. We'll come back for the night session, you know, ready to take good notes. And then I read in there, it said, Darling Sheck's pastor. And I was like, who? And uh, his name is Brian Houston. And now, you know, the, the globe knows his name. But at the time, I had never heard of the guy. But I heard of Darlene Sheck. And so I wow. came to the session, right? And um. And he's laughing. He's like making a joke. He's like, yeah, I'm getting invited to speak at these conferences now. You know, our church is the fastest growing church on the continent of Australia. And he's going to this whole thing. And he says that, you know, he goes, uh, he goes, most of you have no idea who I am. And I'm laughing. I'm like, 
Yeah, he's calling me out. He's like, I'm sure some of you were thinking about just blowing off the session. Yeah, I got the <laughs> after lunch session. I'm like, oh my gosh, he's a prophet, right? But he says, uh, so this is what he got to. He said, you know, people say to me all the time, Pastor Brian, it's probably very easy for you to grow a church with Darling Sheck as your worship pastor. And he said, and I say to them, if you were comfortable with the entire world knowing your worship pastor's name and not having a clue who you are, I bet God could send you a Darling Sheck too. Mm, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, that, that hit me, you know, and I wow. was like, what do I want the world to know? Jesus or me? Right. Yeah. And so that's kind of, I think that's the cost, right? It's like, are you okay? If God called you to spend your entire life investing in people that, that, that he could use to change the world that never knew who you were, mm-hmm. is that enough? And I think when the answer to that is yes, all of a sudden there's no limit to, you know, what God can do through you. So yeah. Right. kind of crazy. And I think what's amazing about that, because we've got, I know we're going to have listeners from just a wide variety of contexts. And I think what's amazing about that is that it affirms and validates the leadership of every single person, no matter where you are. Because with the culture that we live in, if what I'm leading isn't big enough or if it doesn't have enough people, it can very much feel like, well, then it's not good enough. And I'm even thinking about people who I know who are stay-at-home parents with multiple children who I would say, you absolutely have a sphere of influence. You are leading. You have no idea what the little people you're leading are going to do, just like the pastor of thousands doesn't know what his people are going to go do. But what you just said completely affirms and validates the leadership of every person, no matter where they are at this particular moment. I mean, I, I, to this day, uh, you know, I'm in ministry because of some volunteer youth leaders, you know, because of Mama Marge, who most of the world will never know, because of Diane Faust, because of, you know, Dennis Heinel, because of Kent, these people that just, when I was a kid and I gave my life to the Lord, they decided they're going to disciple me. They decided, Hey, I'm going to, cook brownies for youth group and I'll make sure, you know, Diane, she used to bring these little, like, uh, these little, uh, you know, those little, little hot dogs with wrapped around. Yeah. Um, in a blanket. Yes. Right. So like <laughs> I was, every youth event we had, like I would look for her pigs in a blanket and I was like, and then, so she started inviting a group of the, you know, kids from the youth group to her house. And even after I graduated high school, when I wanted a safe place to land, I would just go by Miss Diane's house and just hang, and and she would just talk to talk to me about the Lord. Like I'm in yeah. ministry today because of volunteers in a local church of 300 people in Victoria, Texas. You know, absolutely. And, yeah, that's it. So then let me ask you this, because you talked a little bit about, you know, models of leadership and the biblical model that we see demonstrated in the life of Jesus, and some of the ways that we have. In unintentionally, maybe like you said, but culturally kind of taken leadership to a, a bit of a wacky place. How would you at its core define it? If I just asked you to define what is leadership, what would you say? Um, I, I mean, I think just say, um, I didn't come up with this. I read it somewhere and I just off the top of my head can't remember who said it, but uh, influence is, you know, uh, leadership is influencing others to a predetermined goal or course, you know, that, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think I heard John Maxwell say one time at a conference, like, you know, that a leader without a following is just a guy on a walk, you know, like at its core leadership is influence. And I, I feel like as in my life, in my journey, even in the 22 years that I've been in ministry, uh, I have, gosh, it's been longer than that, but I've seen influence shift. The, the, the currency of influence has shifted. Um, when I first came into ministry, the current currency of influence was intelligence. It was position. Uh, and, and I think now, you know, generation, generation X came along and it became more like, um, you know, my generation is more like authenticity, you know, and then, and then we get into the millennial generation and it's not just authenticity and relevance, but it's authenticity and relevance attached to a compelling why, Mm -hmm. like, like, yeah, I appreciate you being vulnerable, but if you can't point me to something that's worth giving my life to, like I'll move on because someone else will. Like, I'm, right. you know, and I and I think being paying attention to the currency of influence is where you maximize leadership. And I think that continues to to shift as we have a new generation coming up. So. Yeah. And so talking about that, and let's get into the thing I actually wanted to talk to you about. And here I am out in left field. Um, you talk about that next generation and you hands down real talk, uh, better than anyone I know, invest in the next generation of leaders that, I mean, that is your heart and soul. You, you took me in, gosh, I was in my early twenties when we first started coming to FLC, uh, in a 
kind of crazy, confused, broken place. And yet you saw something and you, you brought me in, I got serving, you brought me on staff. I mean, the story in a nutshell is that, uh, I was volunteering and then you guys offered me a staff position, which I was 100% unqualified for in, in, in every natural sense of the word. Uh, and from there, you know, it was children's ministry and then it became ministry coordinator. And then it was having me uh, walk through the ordination process, become campus pastor. And then at the end of it and preach. And, oh, and preaching. That's right. You got me preaching. You got me doing all sorts of things I never thought that I would have done. Didn't know that I could do. Didn't know that I was theologically allowed to do. Uh, didn't know that I was qualified for or capable of. And yet because of your time and your investment and your influence, I got to do all of that. And then at the end of it all, when God called me into another season, you willingly with open arms and no holds barred said, yeah, absolutely go, go into whatever God is calling you to next. And you laid no claim to, um, my life or leadership after that. And, and obviously we've, we've remained, you know, close in relationship, but that all of that is, I think a really incredibly beautiful picture of what leadership is. It is giving it away, but it's giving it away to the next generation and maybe to the ones who in the moment, don't necessarily seem qualified or ready. It takes a lot. I mean, essentially what you were doing in that moment was parenting. This is not like, it was not a peer to peer relationship. You know, it's not what every leader wants is someone to come work for them that already knows how to do everything. I mean, you were taking an infant and raising her up emotionally. And as far as leadership goes, what is it? How do you even why? I don't even know what the question is in there. How did you do that? Why do you do that? Well, to start, I would just say, you know, uh, the why would be because it's the only model of ministry I know. I mean, I had, it, I, well, let me say that differently. It's the, it's the healthiest model of ministry I know. I, uh, it, it's what I experienced. I had people come into my life as a teenager, you know, like who just said, I'm going to mentor you. And, and I just drank it up, you know, and I look back from the moment I gave my life to Jesus at 14 years old, and my best friend, my best friend's dad discipled me. He started teaching me how to read the Bible. He, his family would pick me up, take me to church. I would be hanging out of their house playing basketball. He would help me with physics homework my senior year. I mean, he was just, he was just Jesus with skin on for me and my youth pastor. Like God has always set someone up for me. Cause I would just, God, I want to grow. I want to learn. I want to, and you know, in some ways I'm still that 14 year old kid. You know, I've got a mentor pastor in Chicago, Scott, and I, you know, I have other people who speak into my life. And, uh, to me, you know, I always think about the word, you know, to those who much is given, much is required, you know, like that. I know how that pulled me out of like where I started and prepared me for what I get to do. And I think I owe it to the next generation, uh, to pay that forward. And I owe it to, um, I know I was getting emotional. <laughs> I owe it, you know, to the next 16 year old kid who's just looking for a shot, you know, and the next 20 year old. And, uh, a lot of people really gave me a lot of chances, even when I blew it, you know, and like, they're, you know, Hey, so that's what I know. And so I think for me, it's about, uh, and there's also this other piece that you reap what you sow, you know, it's like, um, I think healthy, you know, I think about this, my wife and I have five children and, you know, we, we desire our children to grow up and to actually move forward, to, to move the ball down the field of life. Right. To, to, that, that we, you know, I was blessed to start in a really good place. You know, my mom and my stepdad, they, they really taught me well. They, you know, it just, we financially were okay, you know, but I want to see my kids like take, take the starting place that they're at be further down the road than even than I was in terms of just understanding like a, a biblical worldview, understanding what it means to, to live below your means, to be generous on all occasions, to sow in other people and to live life for more than yourself. Well, I, I want the same for people that we invest in, in our church and in any organization I'm a part of is this idea of, you know, I want to pass on, I want to die empty. Right. I want to die having passed on all the whatever was given to me. I don't want to die with a baton in my hand. You know, I want to die empty handed that everything that God trust entrusted to me, I was able to just hand that off to the next person who is willing to reach out and grab a hold of it. And I think that's why I'm where I am, because of the investment of others. And, yeah. um, 
It costs. Yeah, sure. It costs. People drop batons all the time. You know, people <laughs> trip and fall and scrape their knees and, the, you know, but Hey, it's, I got scars on my knees too, you know? And then I mm-hmm. think that's part of it. And I, I really think it's like almost like tithing. You know, a lot, I talk to a lot of leaders who say, Freddie, I don't understand how you do everything you do. How can you be the associate senior pastor of a church of a, a church of thousands of people in Northern Chicago with, you know, seven campuses and be the senior pastor of another church with three campuses around the country. And how can you be mentoring um, people from California to, you know, Chicago to Texas to Virginia. And I'm like, I, because I get to do this with a lot of incredible people and collaboratively, we're all going to be able to accomplish more than any one of us, right? We're all mm-hmm. smarter than any one of us. We're all have, we all have more insight into the scripture than any one of us. And when you truly give it away, when you're like this, God's like, cool, now I can actually put more in your hand, right? Yeah. And, and to me, it's like tithing. Like the more you give, Lord's like, cool, I can trust you with more. Like that's that lifestyle of generosity. And I always try and encourage leaders. I'm like, look, you know, pastors, like when you first started tithing, you could easily say, I can't afford to do this. But then you begin to work the process and you see that, 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 there was a harvest and all of a sudden it's like, wow, God, God has blessed me so I can be a blessing. Right. Mm-hmm. And the same is with parenting. How many parents said, okay, we're going to have a child because we can afford one or because we have the extra time now. It's like, no, your, no. your life kind of warps around. Right. But then at some point that kid grows. And then at some point that kid contributes. And at some point that kid becomes independent and they're an adult. They're not a kid anymore. They're actually having kids. They're, they're taking it and in and, and a healthy investment model is, man, I want to pour into you, not so that you're stuck with me, but so that you outgrow me. And when you outgrow me, now I'm going to ask you to find people and do the same thing for them. And to me, that's that legacy. It's, that's a life worth living. So that's. So then let me ask you, why do you think so many leaders are missing it? What is the fear or the hesitation that's really keeping them from living that type of leadership life? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Uh, I think for everybody, it'd be you know a little bit different. If I were to say that common denominators of conversations I've had with pastors or with organizational leaders I've consulted, I do I've done some consulting for businesses, for nonprofits, and for profit, but occasionally here and there. But uh, when I get into those environments, I start with the question: Do you use your organization to build people, or do you use people to build your organization? And if they can't point me to how they use their organization to build people, I'm not going to work with them. I just, my time is more meaningful to me than that. It's the only resource I won't get more of is time, right? Uh, on this earth as is. Uh, we'll get eternity. But, uh, and so I think in that, as you lean into that a little bit and you have conversations kind of across the spectrum, some of the common denominator, dominant, common denominators I see are a lack of margin. You know, people that are not in a healthy rhythm of life anyway. Every week, I'm taking a 24-hour Sabbath, no matter what. Like, no matter where I am in the country, uh, no matter what's going on, I'm taking some time with my wife, you know, for her and I every single week. Uh, we're going to figure out a way. You know, uh, even if I'm gone the whole week, we're FaceTiming. We're, there's going to be something where we're connecting. Um, my time with the Lord, it's, they're, not, they're non-negotiables. My investment in other people. I think time and margin is a big initial, like, uh, I don't have time for that. Well, okay. When you realize healthy delegation and you're willing to create a culture of development, what you realize you actually have more time now because you're doing less because you're doing with others and then through others. And then you're watching them do, and you're just the coach, right? You're relieved. And so I think time is a big one. Another one I think is uh, this perfectionism. Yeah. In a development culture, stuff's going to mess up, right? Mm Mm-hmm. When you're teaching your kid how to ride a bike, they're going to fall off. And then you're going to have to take the time to comfort them, to encourage them, to, to help them get back on the bike and try again, right? Those, mm-hmm. I think having, being okay with something being done less effectively than you could do it yourself, knowing that there was a time when you were the one doing it less effectively, but somebody still let you do it. Yeah. I think those are some of the things. And a lot of times that comes back to, um, I think the third one is ego. It's hard. What happens if I raise someone up who does my job better than me? Like when who I am is what I do, I'm not going to want to do that, right? But when I realize who I am is not equated with what I do, then all of a sudden it's, it's, there's a freedom there, right? Yeah. So what's the worst thing that's going to happen is if I raise up somebody who can be the senior pastor of Freedom Life Church better than me, then they don't need me to do it. Guess what? God has freed me up to do something else. And that's yep okay right yeah that's my identity is somehow linked with 
Freedom Life or with mm-hmm. the And I right. think so it starts with emotional health, you know? That's good. I will never forget the weekend. You talk about, you know, falling off the bike and having to get picked back up and being okay with it not being about you. I'll never forget the weekend that, uh, let's see, it would have been me and Kyle and Hannah and Brian and Ja'Cory, I think. And we were all under 30 at the time. We were all still in our like mid, between all of us, it was this range of like mid to late 20 year olds. And pretty sure Pastor Chris was in San Antonio and you were gone for some reason. And it was the first weekend that all of us, you know, brothers and sisters in arms were running the campus and the service on our own. And this, I mean, this was a, you know, it was a rather large congregation at the time. It was multi-generational. It was diverse. Good majority of the congregation was way older than all of us. And yet here we were, this group of under thirties running it. And I remember before service, we all just kind of had this moment of like, wow, he really did that. (laughs) <laughs> like Freddie really did that. And it, and it was amazing. It was incredibly empowering and things went wrong. Some things did, some things went really great. But the fact that you had not only seen something in us, nurtured that thing, you know, raised us up and then handed something off and trusted us with us with it. It was huge. I mean, that was a pivotal moment in my leadership is recognizing what you were handing over and, and entrusting us with. Um, but that doesn't come without without risk. What are some of the, from your personal experience, and you can use all of me as the example. We don't need to you know, throw anybody else under the bus right now. This can be all me. But what are some of the experience, what are some of the things that you do um, risk and, and lose? What are, can you share some things where hypothetically you have to be okay with X, Y, and Z happening? Um, yeah, I think, I think mainly, you know, it's the, it's, there's going to be mistakes. I always talk about, uh, you know, I, I say a mistake is not a failure until you fail to learn from it. I know you've heard me say mm-hmm. that. Yep. You know, I don't know how many times, but you know, you have to be okay with letting people strike out sometimes you have to be mm-hmm. okay with you have to be okay with that's where the coaching piece comes in. It's like, okay, well, let's talk about that. And then actually mm-hmm. to give them another shot to say, you know, I think at the end of the day, everybody wants to know that, that they're, that they're seen and that they matter and that they have a contribution, you know, like yeah. I really believe that. I believe you could find anybody on any street, anywhere in America and somewhere inside that person is a, di- a desire to be seen, to know that I'm not invisible, right? Like that mm-hmm. I matter. And that I actually have something to contribute to this, mm-hmm. like, this world. And I think that when you invest in people, you give them those opportunities. And there are times when, when it, it just it doesn't go great. And that's okay. You know, we talk about, you know, I don't ever really, I, I don't think, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I try to talk about it in terms of growth areas. Like, let's mm-hmm. talk about the growth areas here. Um, because I don't want to say failures or mistakes, because usually they're just places where we've not had enough opportunity to grow yet. Yeah. Uh, for me as a leader, my, I feel like my obligation is to steward that on the front end, that I want to position people to succeed and get some momentum and some, you know, they can hold their head up a little bit as opposed to giving them more than they're capable of on the front end. And right. that's to steward that. Just like I wouldn't give my son, you know, one of my, I have four kid boys and a daughter, I wouldn't give, you know, my 14 year old son, the keys to my car and say, here you go, go figure it out, you know, and then get mad at him. If he fell into the, drove into the ditch. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to pace that for him. I'm going to be in the car with them. I'm going to, um, and when he does start driving, I'm going to be right there giving instruction immediate in real time. And then, you know, I'm going to calculate the failure, right? Like the calculate the risk. So that's the other part I would say is, you know, let people mess up sometimes, but don't let them drive a car for a cliff. But you might want, you might let them drive a bicycle into the ditch because you're like, hey, you know what? They're going to remember that moment. And it's going to mean, mean a lot more that they had to climb out of the ditch, get cleaned mm-hmm. off, back on the bike, than that I grabbed them before they fell into that ditch. Yeah. I'm not going to let somebody roll off a cliff in a car. But you know what I'm saying? There's a, there is a, I think, being able to navigate those and say, you know, what's the worst case scenario if this doesn't go well? Mm-hmm. Is it the, the future of our church? Well, okay, well, maybe I should step into that. <laughs> or is it a future story that one day we're going to look back and kind of laugh about? You remember when that happened? Well, right. let me let it run its course because I know for me personally, I've learned far more from failures and mistakes. I should say mistakes 
I've learned far more from the mistakes in my life and being mentored out of them than I have from uh, replicating success because I can learn success by watching some other successful person and yeah. doing what they do. But man, when I learn why I missed the mark and what went behind that and how to adjust, those are life lessons. Yeah, that's invaluable. So what would you say are some of the practical ways? Because I think what you just hit, I mean, you just nailed it on the head because we have the two extremes of those who are really hesitant to invest in the next generation, that they're not willing to take the time or take the risk for the younger ones. But then there are those who say, no, I want to champion you. I want to put you in position. Yeah, let's go for it. I'm going to be your biggest cheerleader. But like you said, they're not ready for it. So what are some of the practical ways that a leader can assess with wisdom and and grow in discernment to kind of figure out what someone is ready for and how to process them through the different stages? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think um, I, for me, you know, um, I just kind of look at what have they already done? What have they already built? Mm-hmm. Right. And what does next look like in that? So if you are, you know, I had a guy come up to me this week and he said, hey, you know, I want you to mentor me. This is his third time at our church. He doesn't really know me. I don't know him, but he, he heard the message. He got excited about the message. So he's like, hey, you know what? I want you to mentor me to be the next you. And I'm like, okay. Uh, I don't know that he knows what that means. I don't know that I know what So what I said instead was, how about this? I said, we have an internship program at our church. Uh, if you're interested, I would encourage you just to come around to start serving on a team somewhere, get involved in something. And then, you know, uh, our internship requires, I think, uh, six months of faithfully serving on a team. There's a reason for that. That's kind of, we build in the vetting process. So it's, if, if someone wants to serve for a title, but not for the opportunity, we don't, we don't, we don't pour gasoline on that fire. You know, we pour water on that fire. (laughs) If somebody (laughs) is willing to say, yeah, I don't have to have a title. I'm excited and I'm passionate. Like for this Mm -hmm. guy, he was excited because of what he heard in the moment. God did something in his heart that I'm not downplaying. But to be Absolutely. able to go to a next, which is not the finish line or the or the marathon, but it's the, well, this is the track team. You know, this is how, and I would say really trying to assess where somebody's at. What, what can you evaluate about them? And what does the next 20% stretch look like for that person? The stretch assignment for that person where they're going to have to discover new tools, new strength, new endurance, new wisdom. And then are you coupling that with giving them access to those resources and that coaching and that investment to prepare them so that they can get a win there and say, okay, now, okay, I know how to do, I can do, I didn't know how to do this, but I can do it. And I think, so to me, it's the assessment is the vetting, but then you're also kind of always looking at where they're at and what stretch looks like for them. Mm -hmm. You don't want to pull them, you don't want to stretch them in half, but you want to always nudge them past into the next, right? So yeah. And I think sometimes when they're struggling there, you let them struggle through it because that's how they build strength, right? Like like that butterfly coming out of the out of the uh, chrysalis, right? Yep. Like they have to push through to get stronger. Sometimes I have recognized, man, I think I gave them more quicker than I should have. Yeah. And I step in and equip them in this and let them know it's not their fault; it's my fault. That really, it's really an art, not a science, but an art investing yeah. in another leader. And the more you try it, the the more effective you will be at. So then on the flip side of this, for someone who says, I would love someone to invest in me. I would love a mentor. I would love for someone to pour into me the same way that, you know, you, Freddie, did with me. Um, what are some of the things that would... Um, make that conversation end potentially favorably for a young person who says I'm identifying someone that I would really just love to learn from. What are some of the things that you would say to them, uh, that they should prepare themselves with in order to make that ask? Yeah, I would say make yourself an asset, make yourself indispensable. And so, uh, that's what I do. Like when I see someone I want to learn from, I'm like, I'm going to read everything they've written. I'm going to study them. I'm going to learn them. And then I'm going to make myself available to them on their terms and make it as easy as possible for them. So, uh, you know, now pastor Scott and I, my mentor pastor, we have a great relationship. I'm, I'm serving on his staff, but for the last five and a half years, I was uh, part of the teaching team up there for him on a monthly basis or about 10 times a year, they'd fly me up to preach. And that started just because as we got to know each other and I asked him to mentor me and he agreed to, to do that. I asked him, I said, how can I serve you? Because to me, if you're going to be my mentor pastor, I want to lift your arms up. How can I serve you? And he actually said, well, you know, we've lost one of our teaching pastors and 
would you like to come teach this, you know, this month? I said, sure. So I went up there and went good. He said, you want to come back next month? I said, sure. And they tried to pay me, but I refused. I, did, I didn't accept a dollar. I was like, they wanted to give me an honorarium. I said, no, I'm here to serve you because you, you weren't sewing into me. And so I don't, I don't want a check. I didn't even open it. So I don't know how much I said no to. I, to this day, I don't want to know. So, but, uh, uh, but it was just like, I just wanted to let him know that, that I, I wanted to add value to what he was doing before, as I was asking him to add value to me. So uh, that continued for five and a half years until this March, he asked me to come on staff in, in a particular role to really help them with some particular things. Um, but I just want to add, even now, I want to add value to him. I want what my contribution is to be worth far more than what, his, what they're having to invest for me to be there. Um, and so that's, to me, if you want a mentor, learn, learn what, what you know, look, at what, how you can add value to them and then make yourself an asset. Say, Hey, how do I lift your arms up? And I think those are the relationships where all of a sudden, you know, it's like, it's life giving it's, it's Mm -hmm. empowering. And I think those are healthy. It's not, I'm here to take it's, I'm here to learn. I'm here to give and receive. So. Yeah, no, it absolutely did. And I think that's good to hear. And so then what are for, and you're kind of able to speak to this because you are on the the back end of it. You've done it. You have actually walked this talk. You have spent more than, I mean, it's been a decade now with me, but it started before that with other people that you have chosen to invest in, young people that you have um, brought alongside in leadership and in ministry and uh, raised them up. And even now, I mean, it's almost like you're, you know, in the, in the grandparent phase. I mean, I'm out, I'm, you know, having my own little visions and ideas and my own little leadership babies. Um, And so it's already, you know, moving into another generation, even beyond what you invested in. And so what would you say, we've talked a lot about the risk and the cost. What is the, the return though on that investment? What is the payoff and the benefit, whether it's a a specific story that you can think of or just a a general overall, listen, yes, you're going to take a risk. Yes, it's going to cost you as a leader, but here's what you're going to get from it. What would you say? Yeah, I I would just say in general, you know, you get to live a life that continues to, 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 to just have echoes, you know, and it like effect, you know, like how many people can you uh, truly impact in life? But what if you are impacting impactors? You know, like it's, 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 I don't want to live my life through addition. I want to live it through multiplication. You know, I think uh, Dave yeah. Ferguson, a friend of mine up in Naperville, Illinois, at, uh, Christian Community Church, he wrote a great book called Hero Makers. We walked our whole staff through that. And I just said, hey, I want every single one of you, every month we're going to meet about one of the sections in this book. And now I want you to turn around and teach it to three people. And I want you to tell me how that went. So it's, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just you create a culture of intentional investment and all of a sudden you see tremendous return, right? Like, mm-hmm. so now I have the opportunity to be on your podcast. You're out, you know, on the West Coast, you know, you and Mike and those kids that I miss so much, but you know what? <laughs> uh, but uh <laughs> You know, now I get the opportunity to to join you in something you're doing. I get to celebrate that, and I get to just now get to have the opportunity to speak into the lives of people I'll never meet. You know, and I think that that's just how life works. That's how God wired all this thing. Like the sooner we get it that it's not about us, the more fun we get to have, right? Like, yeah. like you mentioned grandparenting. I can't wait to be a grandpa. I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm gonna be that grandpa. You know, we're gonna show up with candies and cookies and puppies for the grandpa. <laughs> we're gonna leave. Right? You're, you're gonna show up on Christmas Eve with a pinata. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Which may or may not have happened with our kids more than once. That's right. <laughs> we right. still, to this day, have Christmas Eve pinatas because of Grandpa Freddie. Say, it. Mama, are we gonna have a Christmas Eve pinata this year? Like, well, I guess so. I mean, we can't stop now, can we? That's right. <laughs> that's awesome i'm not see see here's another part of this this is actually a great real-time example if one of these amazing young people on staff was here like trevor trevor's 25 he's our most recent hire uh trevor has a background in it and no i'm sorry in software and writing so i could say hey trevor could you come <laughs> i don't know how to do this that's a great example trevor i was talking to him earlier today um just asking him, you know, just about his journey. We hired him. He's an apprenticing pastor for us. He's actually currently running our student ministry. Uh, and um, a couple of years ago, he was writing software for a company, making a ridiculous amount of money, doing a bunch of crazy stuff he learned how to do in college. And he came to terms with the idea 
or the reality that he was not excited about that future. He was actually feeling called to a, a, a journey in ministry. And he shared with me about when he experienced that call. Uh, it was probably a year ago now, maybe longer. Uh, no, it's probably been a little longer than that. He had, he, had, he, he had been really wrestling with it, but he decided that he wanted to leave the software industry to go take a job at a Christian school here called Summit, uh, where he could teach Spanish. That, that was his, they were, he was a high school Spanish teacher. So in that journey, one day we're at church and I just look at this guy and I'm thinking, he's young, he's sharp, he's full of vibrancy in life. I need to take him on a trip with me. So I just invited him. I said, Trevor, I'm going to Chicago in a month or so. I want you to come with me for the weekend. You want to come? He was like, yeah, Pastor Freddie, I'd love to. So I just brought him with me on the trip. I didn't really know what God was doing, but got him plane ticket. So him and James, uh, one of our staff pastors came with me. The three of us just made a weekend of it in Chicago. So they got to hang out with me, but I got to hang out with him. I got to hear his story, take him out to dinner after church on Saturday night. And then Sunday we went to lunch. You know, we just showed him around some folks in Chicago, just hanging out for the weekend, getting on the plane, moving off, you know, and um, about, I don't know, gosh, late last year, it was a few months after that, he asked me to meet him at the school. So I met him and he said, Pastor Freddie, since you took me to Chicago, I have not stopped thinking about something. I said, what? He said, I think I'm called to full-time ministry. And I said, really? And he shared with me how it was on that trip that the Lord kind of pulled him out of his rhythm and he was just hanging out with some pastors. And he realized, I think this is what I'm called to give my life to. So he came on staff with us uh, late this past year and he's been on staff with us now, gosh, about seven, eight months. I'm not sure. And he's finishing up his apprenticeship and then he'll be ordained as a pastor and he'll be our, are you, are you a student pastor? You know, and I just, uh, wow. but I didn't know later that that trip was actually transformative for him it, it being a moment where he realized mm-hmm. man i think god is actually calling me into vocational ministry so i would just say you know like now we got this rock star like he's i say rock star he's totally like humble chill guy but yeah and he he comes to work he's here early he you know he leaves late he's he's just hungry he's hungry and he, he's doing a great job with student ministry and, you know, a year ago, he was teaching at some school and it just took a weekend away to, for him to have this moment. And I think how many Trevors are out there waiting for an invitation yeah. moment and all of a sudden they're going to be running circles around stuff. And you're like, oh, my gosh, why didn't we think of this years ago? You know, like, I, I just think those are the narratives that make it worth the risk, you know. And yeah, are there situations like that that didn't pan out like that? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. That's so good. So you've given so much for us to think about, and and I am sure that a lot of what you said uh, has resonated with those that are listening. If you could sum it up, if there was a leader who said, you know what, man, I have been slacking. I've been missing it. I've been focused on the wrong things. I have really got to start investing, investing in the people around me, investing in the next generation of leaders, investing in the team that maybe I already have that really just needs more of my intentionality. What are some of the first kind of small, practical baby steps, maybe one, two, or three things that you would say, you know what, here's how to lay the foundation for that. Or maybe it's a book you would recommend, but for someone just starting out, what would you tell them to focus on first? So the paradigm we have of Jesus, what we learn from Jesus is a, a intentional three years of investment for a eternity of impact, right? Right. So for 30 years, Jesus prepared for three years of ministry in which he prepared 12 guys to change the world. He, got, he picked those 12. And even one of those 12 didn't make it, right? Like one mm-hmm. of those 12 betrayed him. Another one of the 12 betrayed him but got restored, Peter, right? But, right. But, but the point being, I would say from the beginning of Jesus' ministry, I believe he knew his assignment was for after he left. Hmm. And I would just start with the exercise. If you left your organization today for a month, what would you come back to? Just try to imagine what, what would it be like a month later if your presence as a leader was not central to it? And then maybe reverse engineer from there. Why would this be a problem? Why would this be a problem? Why would this be a problem? Why would this be working? Why would this be good? And to kind of reverse engineer that and say, okay, so how do I build a culture where it's not dependent on my presence, where it actually thrives when I'm gone because everyone says, hey, it's on us. Did Freddie really do this? Well, let's step up because my experience has been that happens more often than not. People say, you know what? We got this. 
before I took the job in Chicago, I actually invited every one of the staff people to make the decision with me. I invited my wife, all five of our, well, the four of our kids, our oldest is out and has a wife and they, you know, uh, but the four that still live in the home, we made a decision together. And then I went to the staff and I said, I'm not going to say yes to Pastor Scott in Chicago unless we say yes together. Every single one of my staff, every single one of the staff said the same three things. One, they said, you know, um, sounds like an incredible kingdom opportunity. Two, they said, don't worry about freedom life. We got it, Pastor. And the third thing they said was, how can we help you in Chicago? What could we do? Every single one of them said the same three things. And so I, I, I only say that to say, when I'm not here, the kind of the joke is like, maybe I should be gone more because like, God, like they all just <laughs> step it into such an incredible mantle. And um, I would just start with that exercise. And then there's different books, depending on what, I mean, you, that's going to get you to what's, what are the, what are the choke points in, in, in your influence? And for some that might be, you know, wow, I don't have anybody that, well, then find three people to start pouring your life into them. Right. Yeah. Um, pray about it. Lord, would you, you know, I hear a lot of times I talk to pastors, I'm with pastors all over the country very regularly. And I, you'd be, you might not be shocked by how often I hear, man, I just pray the Lord would send me more leaders. And I, mm. what I hear you saying is, I pray that somebody else would disciple and train these people and then God would pluck them out of their church and send them to me. Yeah. I said, what if he already sent you all the leaders you need? They're just still waiting in your congregation for you to disciple them, for you yeah. to make for you to sow into them and have them at your house and have them over for holidays and bring pinatas, you know, to, to Christmas Eve. So the, <laughs> you know, like what, to me, that's the, um, that's the, the foundation is I think an exercise like that, because after that, then yes. there's a resources, hero makers. Yeah. Is a great one. Um, I just, there's so many great authors out there. So many people doing yeah. incredible stuff. I think the stuff you're doing, some of the coaching stuff you've done to empower uh, leaders and women's voices and Joe Saxon. And, I mean, there's just so there's, I, there's a plethora of resources. You have to start by understanding where you're at and what you need next. So I, I would say that I would say if nothing else, if everything else I said is forgotten, and find somebody and just give your life into trying to make them greater than you and greater than your influence, greater than your wisdom, greater than your experience. Like, like be okay with mm -hmm. someone outshining you and God can use you to impact lives around the world. Wow. I feel like we just need to drop the mic right there and just, and just, and that is so, 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 so good. And so gold. Um, and thank you. Thank you for taking the time to share with us. I know that there were multiple things in here that will resonate with our listeners that resonated with me. I'm sitting here taking notes, still needing to be reminded of these things again. And so, um, I just want to thank you for taking the time to share your wisdom and your experience with us. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for taking the opportunity and to invest in me. I think uh, everyone listening, you know, when I when I say there was a reason that I wanted Freddie to be the first, I don't say that flippantly. I say it because none of this would be happening today if it wasn't for that investment. And it gets to continue to grow and build and the kingdom gets to continue to advance because of the type of leadership that Freddie has just been talking about. So just thank you for living that out so well every day. Well, thank you, Sian. Thanks for listening to the Table Leadership Podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to the resources that were discussed at the table today and to connect with today's guest. Remember to subscribe to the Table Podcast and follow along on social media at the Table Leadership. Visit thetableleadership.com to learn more about current courses and coaching opportunities. And finally, you can connect with me, your host, at cionedgerton.com or on social media at cionedgerton. I look forward to the next time that you pull up a seat at the table.